Awesome. Hey, how many people have been enjoying the James series, the book of James? Yeah, we've got this week and then next week is our last one in the book of James. How many people think that um, as we've gone through the book of James, James starts off quite nice and just seems to get more and more savage each week? Yes? Anybody? You know, like the first week's really nice because it's kind of like, hey, trials and temptations. This is how you get through trials and temptations and God's for you. And if you don't quit, you'll win and God's got your back. And then he goes into week two and he starts talking about, hey, by the way, when you're going through trials and temptations, the most important thing that you can do is make sure you honor the word of God in your life because that'll get you through. But hey, by the way, your tongue can't be tamed. It's set on fire by hell, but it's all good because God can transform your heart because your mouth problem is a heart problem. And then he talks about favoritism and how we shouldn't have any favorites. And if you've got favorites and this is it. And then he slaps us with something else and slaps us with something else. And then we get to this week. And to be honest with you, this week, if you thought that James had been savage so far, it's almost like, this is almost like James has got, this is like he's on his deathbed and he's like, what the heck? I might as well just double barrel them. And he just goes, woof. And it's really intense. And I've really struggled this week. How do I put this into a context that everyone's not going to walk away going, I hate the book of James. In fact, if James was in our church, I'd punch him in the face. Because he gets really savage. But here's the thing. There's a spirit in these verses that we're looking at today And if we can catch the spirit of the verses, then we can make sense of it. Because it's a little bit like as we go through this, it's like on their own, it's a whole lot of ingredients that don't make sense. But put the ingredients together, and all of a sudden you have this beautiful thing. Like baking soda on its own is not nice. Put it into a cake, or baking powder, sorry. Put it into a cake... And all of a sudden, it's good, yes? And this is what it's like this week. On its own, the ingredients kind of don't make sense, but if we put it all together, then we kind of get the idea and the spirit of what James is saying. And and normally I wouldn't wouldn't start with how the message ends. I'd normally save that as your big crescendo at the end of the message. But I think I've got to tell you how it ends so that you can make sense of what he's going to say to us. Because it helps us to catch the spirit of what he's saying. And really, the whole big idea around what James is saying and what this message is today is in James 5.8. He says this, he says, You two, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. The big idea that James is writing, the spirit that we need to catch of what James is writing, what James is saying is that James is saying there's an urgency about the eternal that we need to get, an urgency about eternity that we have to understand because the Lord's coming is near. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up my whole entire teenage years with a guy called Barry Smith who used to go around preaching end times and telling everyone that bank cards were of the devil and this, that, and the other thing. And I lived scared. So I was like, we had, we had a marriage night on Friday night and, and we shared a few things and we got into, you know, like the... 
sex side of marriage and all that sort of stuff. And, and I won't lie to you, when I was 15 years of age, I remember praying in my bedroom as I'd just been to a Barry Smith meeting where it was like, Jesus is coming back tomorrow kind of thing. And I remember being in my room at 15 years of age and said, Jesus, please don't come back until I'm married and had sex. That's the truth. That was my prayer at 15 years of age. And I know we've heard a whole lot of messages over the air about Jesus is coming, that God's coming back. But I don't want you to focus on whether Jesus is coming back now, tomorrow, next week, or whatever. I think what we've got to capture here is the urgency. It's the, it's the attitude. It's the spirit that James is saying, hey, Jesus is coming back, and we've got to have an eternal attitude about how we live our lives. We, we can so often get so caught up in this world that we forget that we actually come from that world, that the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm because the natural realm was created out of the spiritual realm. And really everything James says today, he's saying this, hey, get an eternal perspective. Stop focusing so much on what is right there in front of you and understand there's an eternity that we are heading for and it's more important, and when we understand that there's an eternity, it helps us to live our lives differently. Let me put it this way. Charles Spurgeon, a, a, a man from years ago who they call the Prince of Preachers, phenomenal preacher, said this. He said, unless we purposely live with a view to the next world, we cannot make much out of our present existence. In other words, he's saying, if we don't live with an understanding of where we are going, then everything that happens here makes no sense. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. You like that? I like it. And that's the spirit of what James is saying here. You have to get an eternal attitude to your life. The good thing is about attitudes is that attitudes are contagious. And if we can all catch this, then we will get infected with it by each other. And trust me, at this point in time in the world that we live in, that's the only thing we want to get infected with. Man, you guys are tough work today. I thought that was pretty good. Maybe not as good as I thought. It's about the only thing you want to get infected with. And so James is going to get really in our faces today. And the thing is, is this, is that we can quite often when... When God gets in our face, when the word gets in our face, we can quite often get offended by it. But I want, what I want you to do is I want you to understand that what James is doing and sometimes what happens in our own lives is that it's not so much correction, but it's actually protection. Let me put it this way. All of you have had this happen at some stage or you've done it yourself. Have you ever had those moments? I remember when I was little, if I heard my mum say my full name, I knew, you knew that it was about to hit the fan, yes? Craig David Jordan. That, that was like, whoo-hoo-hoo, I'm about to get a whooping, right? But I can remember when I was little, once I was about to walk out onto the road, and mum yells at me, like screams at me, Craig David Jordan! Now she wasn't trying to correct me to punish me, she was trying to correct me to protect me. And if we can take these scriptures today and go, okay, they're not, it's not so much a correction, but it's a protection. James is trying to protect us 
then we'll understand that he's basically just saying your name today. Trinity, Eric is your name. He's just, he's just trying to get your attention and say, hey, this is really, 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 really important. And the first thing is this, if we're going to have an eternal attitude, there's four ingredients that James shares in these scriptures about having an eternal attitude. And the first eternal attitude we've got to have is we've got to understand our time is short. James 4, 13 to 14 says, now listen, that's James' way of saying your name. He's trying to get your attention. This is not, he's like, listen, this is like a big moment. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and spend a year here and carry on business and make money. Why do you, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You see, what James is addressing here is that these people are like, we will. We will. In other words, their attitude was just like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and, 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 and we will speak to self-sufficiency, and, and I can do this, and I can go where I want to go, and I can do what I want to want. And James, James is kind of saying to him, hey, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You could drop dead tomorrow. You could lose a family. You, you don't know what's going to happen. How, how dare you say, I'm going to do this and do that and do this and be so self-sufficient and, and want to have control? In fact, he would consider that that's earthly-mindedness. Like, we like to have control. And James is like saying, man, you have no idea there is a bigger picture than all of this. There's a bigger picture than your career. There's a bigger picture than your income. There's a bigger picture than your family. There's a bigger picture of all this. And you've got to understand that your life is a mist. It's really short. It comes and it vanishes and it's as quick as that and it disappears. And when we get so caught up on life that we live here on earth, we lose our eternal perspective because our life is just a mist. The crazy thing is about this mist of a life that we live is the life that we live in the mist actually sets us up for eternity. So we make way too many decisions, and I include myself in this, I make decisions about what's best for my life now rather than what's best for my eternity. You see, when we lose our eternal perspective, we end up getting an attitude of self-sufficiency. When we lose our eternal perspective, oh, that's your life. That's your life. It smells pretty good. Unless you're a teenager. Boy. But that's your life. This is what you spend sleepless nights worrying about. This is what you spend years and years at university to accomplish. It's a mist. It's here one day and it vanishes. I'm not against you going to university. I'm not against you having a good life. I just think that some people should put as much time and effort and finances into their eternity as they do into the mist. That's your life. In the big scheme of things, 
starting to smell in here, isn't it? I better stop. That is our life. That is what James is saying. That's your life here on earth. It's not your life forever because eternity goes forever and ever and ever. It never stops. You have an eternity set before you, but your life right now is just shh, and it's gone. Our life compared to eternity is just a moment. And if you have ever met someone who has a terminal illness, you'll understand that all of a sudden, these things that we think are so important just don't matter anymore. The stuff that becomes important to us is our loved ones and our friends and our family and our soul and our spirit and the things of God. Why? Because they understand that all of this mist can be here today and gone tomorrow. We need an eternal perspective. I love what Martin Luther said. He said it this way. Live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is returning tomorrow. Live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. I can tell you, if we start living that way, we're going to live in such a way that eternity becomes our perspective. Life is a mist. And he's really saying to us, lift your eyes and get a bigger perspective because there's a bigger picture going on here and it's bigger than your life and it's bigger than your world and we need an eternal perspective. And so the question that I have for you this morning is this. It's really, really easy when we think about life is short. What would you do differently if you only had 30 days to live? How would you live your life? What decisions would you make? What things would become of value to you if you only had 30 days to live? The first thing James says is that our life is short if we want an eternal perspective. And the second thing he says is our purpose is God's plan. We have a purpose, and our purpose is God's plan, he says. Not your plan, not my plan. God's plan. Listen to how he puts it in James 4, 15 to 16. He said, instead of saying, I'm going to do this or do that or whatever, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. In other words, he's saying, all your plans are evil. It's only God's plan that matters. And instead of saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, how about you go, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this and we'll do that. I want you to understand that God has a plan. You may feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket at the moment with all the crazy, stupid things that are going on, especially this current government and their dumb, ridiculous laws that they're trying to bring in. You may think like things are getting worse, and you may be thinking, I've read end time stuff, and I know what happens. Everything gets worse. Everything goes bad. You know what? It probably could be, and it probably will do, but here's the thing. God still has a plan. God knows what he's doing. 
God has a plan. The world is not out of control because he holds the universe between his thumb and his forefinger. He has a plan. It may not make sense to you, but that's because his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And we've got to line ourselves up. Oh, okay, God's got a plan. God is good. It may look like it's crazy. It may look like all of hell is breaking out or havoc is breaking out in my life. But God's will is good and it's perfect and it's pleasing. And that he says that all things work together for good for those who love God according to his purpose. And so God is good. God is for me, not against me. God is with me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. God has a plan. His plan is good. And even though it may not look like it to me, it's a good plan. But with an eternal perspective, you can understand, you know what? I'm going to live his purpose because his purpose is about eternity. It's not about the here and now but it's about the then and there. Nothing can stop the will of God. Nothing can get in its way. He always accomplishes his plans. We get so caught up in this. Whoa, wrong way around, this. We get so caught up in the mist that we fail to see the big picture. I've read the end of the book and we win. Come on. We've got to get an eternal perspective to what God is doing. Our life is a mist. And when we understand that our life is a mist, and when we understand that God has a plan, and when we understand that we have a perspective of eternity, then all our drive in our lives becomes about fulfilling the will of God for my life. Because if it's just a mist, why would I waste my time on anything else other than His plan? If I just have a moment, why would I waste it on anything else? Mark Twain said this, and you've probably heard this before, but the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. The purpose and the plan of God. Let's not waste our days, but spend our days doing the will of God for our lives. Listen, James goes on in verse 17 and he says this, if anyone then, this is where he starts to crank it up a little bit for us, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? Anybody that knows what God's will is for their life but choose not to do it, it's sin for them. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven because he tried to use what God had gifted him to do for something else. And he said, because of your widespread trade, because I created you for this and you're trying to use it for that, he kicks him out of heaven. Man, we've got to have an eternal perspective that it's actually about his will. Well, I'm too young. I'm too young. The Bible says, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. Oh, I'm too old. Well, the Bible says that your latter days will be greater than your former days. Well, I'm too broken. Well, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm just a new Christian. Yeah, but you were born for such a time as this. There's no excuse. There's no way. You are here. And if you're breathing, then God has a plan for your life. And your thing to do is not to quit and not to give up, but to make sure that I know it. And so my question for you today is, do I know and am I living God's purpose for my life? 
And if you don't know what it is, then you should be seeking it out. And it's really, really easy. Pick up your Bible, read it, and you'll find it. The amount of people that come up to me and go, hey, what's God's will for my life? Read your Bible. It's all in there. I can tell you what I think it is, but don't you want to know what God says it is? Are you with me today? That's been not too bad so far. James goes to a whole other level now. The first thing is that our life is short. The second thing is we need to fulfill his will. The third thing that he talks about, if we're going to have eternal perspective, is our possessions are not our own. When we have an eternal perspective, we know that our possessions aren't ours. And James is about to go fully savage on us. And I want you to remember, this is for your protection. This is for your protection. James 5, 1, 6, he starts off of again. Now listen. In other words, you better listen up. You rich people. Oh, well, I'm not rich. Man, if you live in New Zealand, you are rich. You're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. God is speaking to every single person in this room. You rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then he goes on, he gives three reasons why this is happening to you. First thing is you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you failed to pay. The workers who moved your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You can understand why I had trouble this week working out what to say. He's basically saying that when we use our possessions for ourselves, all this stuff, it will testify against you, it will eat your flesh like fire. How do we know if we're using our possessions for ourselves? The first thing he says is you have hoarded. In other words, you have more than what you need and you just keep on collecting it. You just keep consuming for yourself. You have hoarded it all. You have kept it to yourself. Then he goes on and says, and you have failed to pay. In other words, not only do you have more than what you need, but you have not been just with what you have. In other words, you haven't been a blessing with the blessings that you have received. You haven't looked after those that you could have with the access of what God has given you. You have hoarded it for yourself. You have not used your blessings in a way that they should have been used. And not only that, you have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Now, we don't understand that because we're not, you know, what does that mean? But in the Jewish culture, they understood that the day of slaughter was the day of harvest. It was the day where they would bring the first fruits of their crops or the first fruits of the, of, of the animals and they would sacrifice them to the Lord. It was like, it's where we get tithing from. It's a, it's, they'll bring the first 10% of their stuff, and they give it to the Lord, and there's, there's a blessing that happens to us when we bring our first. But I think the thing that we mistake all the time is that the blessing is actually not for God. Because <laughs> how many people know God doesn't need animals? 
God doesn't need fruit and vegetables. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need any of that. The, the blessing is not for God. The blessing is for you. Because when we give, it breaks the curse of self-indulgence. When we are generous, when we give, it breaks the curse of self-indulgence. There is a blessing on the first, and when we give it, it enables God to give us a perspective, eternal perspective, of how he wants us to live. Because giving is not a transaction, it's worship. It's not a transaction. We don't have a contract with God. We have a covenant with God. It's not a transaction. It's worship. When we give, it's worship. Why? Because it breaks the curse and we realize that we're blessed to be a blessing and the giving opens up the pathway to generosity and generosity is to selfishness what kryptonite is to Superman. It destroys it. It unlocks generosity where you realize all of your blessings are from God. All things are made in him, for him, by him. Generously, we realize that all our blessings are from God and for God, and we start looking around at how we can be generous to those that are around us. Let me say it this way. A tithing church will always become a generous church and a generous church will always impact eternity. And you impact eternity, whether you realize it or not, every single week when you give. The fact that we've given over 250 food parcels into Fiji this year. The fact that we see over 150 children go through preschools in Fiji and Vanuatu that learn about Jesus and the gospel, including Hindi and Muslim kids, because of your generosity. That we have over five to 600 hours a year that are going into schools in our community for youth workers, Bible and schools and all that, because of your generosity, that we are able to impact the lives of parents that have had their children removed from them for Oranga Tamariki by partnering with Franklin Family Services. And we see over 100 mums go through that program every year because of your generosity. And we've got coming up in September, we're relaunching Servolutions where we're going to go into somebody's home and we're going to do over their home and we're going to bless them and send them off the rainbow's end as a family for the day and we're going to fix up their place for them. Why? Because of your generosity. You see, a tithing church becomes a generous church and a generous church always impacts eternity. <laughs> generosity kills self-indulgence. Our time, our resources, our relationships are all for God. We've got to get an eternal attitude about everything that we have. And how can I use this to bless others and build the kingdom of God to impact eternity? I love it that there's a particular couple in our church that are building a beautiful home, a big, beautiful home. And the whole motivation and behind it is because they want to be able to bring people into the home and bless them with a meal and bless them with this and bless them with that. That's called an eternal attitude, using what God has given me to bless others. Our possessions are not our own. So my question is, how can I be a blessing with my blessing? How can I be a blessing with my blessing? Am I hoarding things? Am I unjust? Am I just fattening myself up? 
How can I be a blessing with my blessings? And the fourth thing he says is this. He says, our trials are temporary. When we have an eternal perspective, we understand our life is short. We understand that it's about living his will for our lives. We understand that our possessions are not ours, they're his. And we understand that our trials are temporary. An eternal attitude says, no matter what we are going through, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what we're going through, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know why? Because the world can't do anything to the redeemed. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven and not of earth. That's what the scripture teaches us. I remember when I was a young fella, Planet Shakers, teenager, released a song called, and it went a little bit like this, we're aliens from planet worship. Not of this world, we're just passing through. You are a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of earth. You are here for a and then you're going. And what we do here should be what we would do as a citizen of heaven. Our eyes are not on the temporary. Our eyes are on the eternal. We're just passing through. Aliens and strangers making a difference and then going to heaven. That's who we are. James puts it this way in chapter 5, verse 7 to 11. He says this, be patient. In other words, he's saying, have endurance. Have endurance. Be patient. Have endurance. Then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. In other words, eternity. Have patience, endurance, and eternity. Don't give up. Keep eternity in mind. Don't give up. Keep eternity in mind. See how the farmers wait for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Anybody ever planted anything and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for something to happen? You too be patient and stand firm. Once again, endurance because the Lord's coming is near eternity. And then he says this, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Why is he saying that? Because he's, he's giving us a warning in our waiting. He's saying to us, A season of endurance is always an opportunity for the enemy to come in and sow disunity. A season of endurance is always an opportunity for the the enemy to come in and sow disunity. And what he's saying here is don't let the enemy divide us as we're waiting, as we're enduring for eternity. Don't let the enemy get in and divide us. Fight for unity. Fight for it. Fight to have unity. And by the way, unity is not uniformity. It's not about doing everything the same as everybody else does. Many different notes make up a piece of music, yes? Many different ingredients make up a cake. It's not about doing it in uniformity. It's about doing it together. It's about coming together, working together for a greater purpose. And he says, why you're enduring for eternity. Don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Once again, he's talking about eternity. It's an eternal perspective again. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed 
those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. In other words, he's saying here, you know the testimony of Job, how God came through for him, because God always does what he has in his heart to do. His plans will never fail. God is going to accomplish what he sets out to do. There is not a weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Weapons will be formed against you. They just won't prosper. This is the problem. It's like we read that and we think, oh, now there's a weapon. Yeah, weapons will be formed. It doesn't say no weapon will be formed. It says no weapon formed against you will prosper. In other words, weapons will be formed, but it's okay because it won't beat you and I won't defeat you because God's in control. He has a plan. He prospers. God will always do what he says he's going to do. And that's where we anchor our faith to. We trust in him. We hold on to him because you know why we don't have an eternal perspective half the time? Because we want control. I trust God, except for when it comes to my finances, my kids, my marriage, my house, my career. We want control. And God's saying, hey, hey, James, there's this one more bit that James talks about. We'll talk about that next week. But this is James' finale of everything that he said. Trials and temptations, the word of God, taming the tongue, don't show favoritism. Close the gap. Get wisdom. All of that he's saying, all of that only works in this. That when you have an internal perspective. When you realize that you're not in control and you trust God. You trust that he has a plan. And listen to what he says and, 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 and right at the end of verse 11 he says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Yeah, man, it may look like life is going to hell for you right now. But hey, remember Job? I'm sure he thought his was too. But what did the Lord do? Why? Because when you have an eternal perspective and his wife comes to him and says, Job, curse God and die. And he says, no, though he slay me, I will still follow him. Eternal perspective. God sees that. God rewards that. Why? Because he's full of compassion and mercy, and Job was better off afterwards than what he was beforehand. And when we lose sight of eternity and we get locked into the here and now, we forget that God's a God who's full of compassion and full of mercy. But if we are locked into the here and now, I want you to hear this morning that God is a God full of compassion and mercy. He's not here to judge you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to protect you because he's saying, if you want your life to go well, understand that it's short. Understand that it needs to be about my will. Understand that everything you have is because I've given it to you. Use it for the kingdom. And understand that trials are just temporary. They're not permanent. Your brain has a way of telling you that it's permanent but it's not permanent. He sees your hurting. He sees your frustration. And when he sees your hurting and he sees your frustration, he says, hey, don't look down here. Look up here. Just lift your eyes to the heavens 
where your help comes from. I'm suffering from fear and anxiety and and I'm feeling depressed and I've got all this stuff going on. I'm not trying to belittle any of that. I'm just saying, that's looking at the here and now. Lift your eyes to the heavens where your help comes from. Because when you see how big your God is, you'll realize how small things are and you'll realize the stuff that you're struggling with is just your trials are just a mist a mist a mist so my question for you Where do you need the power of God to do a work in your life? Where have you lost sight of eternity? Got so consumed with the here and the now. Maybe it's your kids. You're so worried about your kids. You're so concerned about them. They might be going way, way, way off the rails. And I understand I understand to a degree what that is like because I did that to my parents in my teenage years. But I never ever heard my parents, I hear them pray every single morning for me. It's kind of intimidating when you're completely away from God and you're not interested in God and you're trying to get your wheat bix and all you can hear is your parents on their knees in the, in the lounge crying, praying that God would rescue me and save me. Got even worse when it, six, seven months into it, there'd be no change in me, so then I started hearing my mum pray things like, bring him to his knees, Lord. Don't protect him. Don't keep him safe. Let him hit rock bottom. Some of you pray prayers to protect your kids. Don't pray prayers to protect your kids. Pray prayers that God will bring them to their knees, that they'll hit rock bottom, and the only option they have is Jesus. Because while you're protecting them in the prayers, they're not being exposed to what the devil's going to do to their lives. And when they see the truth of what the devil's going to do, then they will see the truth, Jesus, and it will set them free. And slowly but surely, my dad quit pastoring because of the way my, me and my brother was. He turned his back on ministry and said, I'm going to focus on my kids. Two years later, I made a decision to come back to him. My brother didn't. He just went from bad to worse. But they never stopped believing. They had eternal perspective. God has a plan. God is in control. We trust him. We trust him. His ears are not deaf that he cannot hear. His hands are not short that he cannot reach. We trust him. We trust him. My Uncle Rex, my mum prayed for 58 years for my Uncle Rex to get saved. At 72 years of age, he rings her up and says, I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. Then he went on missions, trips, and he did all sorts of things. And the next eight years of his life that you and I probably haven't even done in our lifetime, 
of mine of 40, nearly 49 years. Time is short. The will of God is the most important thing that we can be fulfilling. Our possessions are not our own. And our trials are temporary because we have an eternal God. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. We are citizens of heaven. And if I'm a citizen of heaven, I have the rights of heaven, even though I'm living on earth. So where do you need the power of God in your life? Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?